This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Greg Moyle and Ryan Melton from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This is not to be seen as personal advice as it is a podcast, but will give you the tools you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. So is it welcome back to the Ryan and Greg show, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the Ryan and the, Greg show. Or is it Greg and Ryan? Well, unfortunately for most listeners that are listening, it's been the, the Ryan show and they're starting to miss you. Um, funnily enough, they would historically listen to the whole podcast, but when I've been talking, it's only been eight minutes, so I think they've missed you, Greg. Oh, well, obviously I've got a good face for a podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. They're listening to your face. That's what, that's a good call. But uh, they, they'd be curious of what's going on with you. Uh, where have you been? What's been happening? Anything interesting with your lockdown experience, Greg? Well, of course, being under lockdown, I couldn't possibly associate with younger people like you, Ron, <laughs> because I might uh, get infected, being slightly over the age of 55 plus. Yeah, just. Just. That, uh, <laughs> like everyone else, I had to go into hibernation, and thank goodness I live on a quarter-acre Pavlova Paradise property that uh, I've got plenty of things to do around at home, so I've started five projects and finished none of them. <laughs> And it's amazing when you've got more time in your hands than you're used to, um, the job tends to spread to meet the time, whereas when you're busy, you just get things done. So, um, But what I did do was just to chill out and, and, and relax and, and read a few books and did start those projects. The gardens are looking good. The hens have never been so well looked after. Um, the garden looks pretty good and, you know, not allowed to water it anymore, thanks, Phil. Um, but that's right, God's been delivering, so we've got lots of rain at the moment. And the other thing I think is really keeping in contact with our clients because mm. uh, using the technology and and uh, just being able to give people a bit of a call and see how they were. I had a bit of fruit that. Uh, came from one of my orchards so that I was able to package that up and quietly leave it by people's doorsteps so that was all right without breaking my bubble but it was really about just talking to people and reflecting too that the type of advice we give I mean you always believe it's the right advice for people at the time and, and you have to otherwise why would you give it but I've been through several of these, I'd call them economic uh, disruptions, but this is the first one that's been caused by a global pandemic. It's not an economic issue, it's a health issue, but it's going to flow through into economic consequences. And of course, everyone who had money invested has seen that investment fall, whether it's a new KiwiSaver or a managed fund. I suppose if you had money in the bank, it hasn't fallen, but you're getting very little interest on your money and, and the outlook doesn't look particularly bright. So it was interesting to reflect on those people, our clients, who have what I'd call balanced, multi-manager, diversified portfolios. How did they perform over that period and how have they gone uh, since the end of March? And it's been quite uh, 
refreshing and um, satisfying that you're able to say to clients, well, look, you know, actually your portfolios have either gone up or down um, plus or minus 8%, 8% sort of the, for a balanced portfolio, 50, 50%, 50% growth, 50% income. Well, that's nothing to sort of jump off the bridge over. 8% is, um, you know, down for that quarter. Of course, it was well up for the 12-month period for December. But what's happened since the end of March is portfolios have um, risen from that low by 4 to 5%. Um, where will they go from here? Oh, I don't really know. But what I do know is, you know, when you're thinking about investing for the medium to long term, it's pretty hard to do better than the balanced portfolio uh, where you've got money in all four of the investment areas, cash, fixed interest, property and shares, onshore and offshore, because if something goes down in one area, the opportunity is for something to go up in the other area. And using managed funds means that it's more passive than active from the point of view that you can actually access your money. You have liquidity. Whereas if you're in a private company or if you're in a direct you know, in property, bricks and mortars, uh, you can't access your money. You've really got to wait for a buyer and seller. And they might be few and far between in the new normal. For sure. And something you talk about with property syndication is the exit strategy. So I'm wondering if there's a few um, common fallacies you see or mistakes people make that they don't realise the risk until moments like this? Well, I was brought up in the, in, the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s saying that the best thing you could do was to buy property. An investment in land, uh, bricks and mortar, uh, was something that you just couldn't fail on because what they say about land is they're not making any more of it. And that's probably true, but, uh, but there is quite a bit of land around and they can keep increasing the development. You only have to drive south of uh, Auckland as you're going through towards Pukekohe. There's a truckload of land left and right of the motorway that they could develop. I'm not saying they should, but they could. So there is plenty of land out there. But what you lose with direct property in particular is flexibility and liquidity. Flexibility from the point of view that you don't can't easily exit the property. It depends on a willing buyer for your property at the price you're prepared to accept. And therefore, you don't have any liquidity. I suppose you could always go to the bank and try and get a mortgage secured against the, land, the property, the land and buildings. But banks are kind of funny. You know? they, if, you, if you need the money, they don't want to give it to you. But when you don't need it, they're very keen to give it to you. They're the people who give you an umbrella when the sun is shining but want it back when it starts to rain. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that liquidity. You probably don't have the flexibility. And syndicated property is just another form of direct property. But in my view, it's, if you don't mind me saying, a bit of a mongrel cousin because the problem with syndicated property, you don't control it. At least if you own the property, you have the decision as to whether or not you'll sell at a particular price. You do have that control. With syndicated property, you don't have anything. You don't have control, you don't have management, and you certainly don't have liquidity because there is no free market, secondary market for you to sell that property on. 
And I've watched the performance of that over the years, uh, from the syndicated properties of the 70s and 80s. I've seen it through some of the fund managers. Uh, there was a group called Money Managers out there at one stage who were kind of creating their own unit trust and therefore trying to create their own secondary market out of what you'd call B or C class commercial properties. It all ends in disaster because when things are going well, it's not a problem because people are receiving a reasonable income stream from the rentals. But when things are not going well, there is no income stream. And as I say, there's no liquidity. How can you get out of these things? There is no secondary market. You're reliant on someone within that family offering you um, a price for your property. And things are not going good. What do you think the price is going to be? Not good. Not good. Hey, if, if, if anyone will offer you anything. So I'm gone past recommending, or not that I ever did anyway, but suggesting that something that you know have any control or uh, liquidity over is something that's useful from the investment point of view, particularly if you're a passive investor. A passive investor needs to know if they want their money, they can get it, what the costs of that will be, and what the price is likely to be. And if it's the market price, you just have to wear that. So no one should sell uh, um, a balanced portfolio or exit KiwiSaver in this sort of market because all you're doing is crystallising an unrealised loss. Just have to suck it up and, and just basically go with the flow. And if you're saving, as many younger people are in the KiwiSaver, this is... This is like um, you know, the, the best opportunity you'll probably see in your lifetime because you're buying cheap quality assets, discounted assets, because the perception of the market is, is negative, not positive. And um, at some point in time, they'll realise their true value. Cream always comes to the top and, and you'll be laughing. And you wish probably you bought more, but... You shouldn't speculate, you know, you just do your 3% or your 4% matched by employer. Government puts in a little bit and off you go. You just don't worry about it. Fire and forget. Yeah, I've actually had a few ads targeted me about that because um, I, I click on a lot of links related to our competitors because I'm trying to look at how they're marketing, how they're structuring things, what they're doing differently. And one of them was advertising the fact that they're the number one performing KiwiSaver provider of a, a quarter. And it and people were jumping ship right now with quarantine and everything going on. They were they were like, oh well, I better jump over to that. They they seem to all be chasing returns and low cost. Yeah, investors are a bit like lemmings. You know, they all want to jump off the cliff at the same time. When if you're smart, you'd actually be running the other way. the The promise with performance is it is exactly that a promise, and it. It's not something you can put in the bank. Uh, if someone's had great performance over the last three months, six months, 12 months, that's no indication they're going to get the same performance on the next three months, six months or 12 months. I remember early on in my career, there was one particular fund manager that I won't name, they're still about, uh, had a good quarter. So what they did is they annualised the quarter's results and told oh. everyone that they got 17.5%. <laughs> I looked at God. that and I you know, hit the roof because I was actually recommending that organisation 
and I gave them heaps because I said, yeah, you had a great quarter. That's fantastic. But don't annualise it, giving people the impression they're going to get this sort of return year on year, because they won't, and they didn't. I mean, there's a big difference between short-term, medium-term, and long-term in this market. If you're a short-term investor, you leave your money in the bank. It might be on call, or it might be on 30-day or, or you know, 60-day or 90-day deposit. That's fine. Uh, you're not going to get much interest, but you're not going to take a loss. You're not going to see any growth. The real return of that will be zero or maybe even minus. But you know that the funds are there when you want them. It might be to pay tax. It might be to settle a a purchase, it could be a lot to help a family member out. But if you're looking to the medium to longer term, and I'm not talking 30 years, medium term would be 5 to 7 years, longer term would be in excess of 10, you then can take a view of saying, well, what's my appetite for risk? You know, how much volatility am I prepared to stand in respect to the capital going up and down? Uh, of course, I don't want to lose money. I mean, that's the first rule of investment. You make money by not losing it. And the second rule is not to forget the first rule as an advisor. So you protect the capital by diversification, by looking at the quality of the underlying investments and who's making the decisions in respect to those investments. And you spread so if you've got a balanced portfolio of 50% income, 50% growth, you expect that portfolio will give you a real return of maybe between 2 to 3%. That not, doesn't sound a lot, but you've got to think of it as 2 to 3% after tax and after inflation. So if, if inflation's 2% and you get 2% real return, that's 4% after tax, and if you were paying tax at uh, one-third, that's a, a nominal gross return of six. Well, where are you going to get six return, 6% in the bank? You're not. Um, where will you get it? Well, you could get it over and should get it over time in a balanced portfolio. If you're prepared to go a little bit further up the risk-return curve, uh, you might be looking at a real return of 3 or 4%, but that means you'll have more exposure to listed property and listed shares and more exposure to offshore assets. And, of course, what comes with that is greater volatility. So a person's risk tolerance is really about their ability to handle volatility. So you probably uh, heard of Mary Holm. And, well, I've uh, heard of Mary. <laughs> I imagine a number of listeners have. And one of the, the big things she advocates for is uh, using index funds as a means to accumulate her wealth. And she was asked what, if her, her biggest regret, um, what would that be? And she, she said she wished she'd borrowed money so she could put it into an index fund so she could have more. So I wanna, want you to uh, talk on why um, debt is a priority and then also the, the potential fallacy of just using your retirement uh, income to be funded by an index fund. Yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Mary. She's a very good journalist and she's written columns over many, many years and she's quite readable. But I think of Mary as the, you know, the sex therapist that's never had a relationship. (laughs) 
She's a person that gives financial advice but never has to live with the consequences. She mm. doesn't deal with real people. I deal with real people every day of the working week and have done for over 30 years. So if I said something stupid like put all your money into an index fund, um, I think people would be walking the streets of Auckland with um, baseball bats looking for me. Because I can remember years ago, Mary talking about you should put all your money in the global uh, share market index, worldwide equity fund. It was an index fund. That was prior to the 2008-2009 global financial crisis. Guess how that would have done during that period of time? Probably dropped 40%. Probably 40%. And what would the people have done who were in a fund like that? given that they didn't have an advisor to hold their hand, um, they would have sold, wouldn't they? They would have exited and crystallised the loss. Mm. That's the problem. You, you can't give an advice on a, you know, in a paper in a vacuum without spending the two or three hours that we would spend sitting there listening to people talk about what their expectations are of the future, looking at the total resources they've got, both income, assets and, of course, liabilities, and giving advice that's fit for their particular circumstances. So I admire what she does, but I think if anyone follows that advice, they've got rocks in their head, you know, because she doesn't have the information to provide that advice. I find it also amusing that I have to go through all sorts of hoops uh, when giving advice and be accountable for it but she can give advice uh, in a written form in the newspaper and not be accountable at all. So there seems to be a double standard within the Financial Markets Authority that uh, someone could give advice without going through a proper process, without being a proper disclosure. I'm sure Mary's not getting paid by anyone for the advice that she's given, but she is an academic from my perspective, Uh, She's very knowledgeable. She understands the principles, but what about the practice? Uh, Principles are fine, but sometimes you actually have to deal with real-life situations and real-life people who can go from one side of the room to the other depending on what's happening out there in the marketplace. And you've got to hold their hand and bring them back to their vision of the future, what's important about life to them, what's important about money to them, coming back to their specific goals and objectives. And if they've said to me, look, Greg, we're comfortable uh, if we had $60,000, $72,000 a year, $5,000 or $6,000 a month net to spend, and we can maintain the lifestyle of our choice. And what we want to know is can we do that and can we be assured that we're not going to run out of money before we run out of life? To be able to help people, you need to not only have that knowledge, but you look at their total resources and there'll be a plan A and there could be a plan B and there could be a plan C. But you're basically holding their hands and travelling with them along that journey. You can't do that in in a few lines in a response to a newspaper article. So... I don't actually think people should get advice through that way. It's a bit like an agony column. I'm having a few problems in my relationship 
Auntie Mary, can you solve it for me? <laughs> uh, no, you can't. You, know, you should really go and speak to a counsellor, a mediator, someone who's actually committed to the outcome that you want. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a much... I hope I'm not going to get sued by Mary. I like Mary. She's a really <laughs> nice person. Yeah, oh, Mary, yeah, Mary says a lot of good things that are valuable, and I think what um, is tricky is she's she's out there adding value, but then sometimes, yeah, she she can advise on things that could actually lead to the detriment of the individual because it's quite a tricky thing. People need to hear about finance. They just don't want to, so she merges that gap in that sense. But, yeah, the index is a bit of a worry. So what people would say to what you've just said is, um, oh, well, Greg, I've heard historically passively managed funds do better. I'm okay with the idea of it going up and down. What would you say to that? Well, I think it's not quite as simple as that. The, the, it's always difficult to beat the market, but some managers do it more often than others, and there's a lot of very good managers out there, and there's probably a few average managers out there. The issue, I suppose, is preservation of capital. And what an active manager can do in a market which is falling is make sure that you're not sitting in shares that are going backwards. So if you're in an index fund and looked at the New Zealand share market, you'd have probably been heavily weighted to Air New Zealand and Auckland Airport. Mm. Um, They fell like a stone. Mm. Now, of course, you're down, and how do you recover? You almost have to wait for those companies to recover because you can't arbitrage. Arbitrage means that you sell a high and buy at a low, whereas an active manager could actually respond very quickly and could have, in January and February, said, oh, look, you know, I think you know, this COVID-type situation might adversely affect um, tourism, uh, international travel, uh, so what I might do is either exit or reduce my exposure to companies that are predominantly in that area uh, and park the money somewhere else. Uh, a passive fund, you know, an index fund can't do that. It has to go for you know, the ups and the downs. So index is really hard to beat when the market's rising, not hard to beat when the market's falling. No. And, of course, people never, ever think about a falling market. Because no one buys with the concept, I'm doing this, um, <laughs> my money is protected against loss. Mm. What they're doing is want to know what sort of return am I going to get? You know, How much is my money going to grow better than the bank? And it's always probably a bit frustrating for new clients when I say, well, actually, it's not about achieving a return. It's about preserving your capital so that your retirement plan works allowing you to do all the things you want to do, which we've quantified that. We know how much it's going to cost. I also know in my heart of hearts you're going to spend more than you tell me you are because that's been my experience over the 30 (laughs) years, and that's okay as well. Um, The other thing I know is that you're probably going to live a bit longer than you think, and... uh, you know, that's probably a good news story, but, you know, I've had people say, oh, I won't be here at 85. Well, what do I do at 86? You know, and take them for a long swim. You know, the reality is you're going to be here as long as you're here, and you want to be able to do all the things that you want to do. So l- not losing money is a good way of ensuring that you're going to have the funds to complete the journey. You don't mind the ups and downs. You've got to deal with that. And that's where a good advisor will handle 
uh, the situation. I've been asked how many of my clients have exited in this environment. Well, the answer is none. Um, I would have expected there could have easily been one or two, um, but I've been through these sort of cycles before. So you kind of prepare clients that it's not always going to be positive. Every quarterly report is not always going to be positive. There'll be periods of negative quarters, and I survived through the period 2000 to 2003, was almost three years of negative quarters, <laughs> and that was pretty, um, you know, pretty hard to do. But you know, your clients believed in you, and they, and they hung in there, and uh, and we all came out the other end, and no one lost any money, and their plans, their retirement plans, um, survived that because remember that's now twenty years ago. Um, those clients who were with me then and they're still with me now because they're still alive are not going to run out of money, are doing all the things they want to do. Um, we just came out the other side of the tunnel. Now, I don't know how long this tunnel's going to be that we're in at the moment, but I suspect there will be a, 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 a long recovery. I think we had a big pickup in markets in April and May, um, that might fall back, I, I, I don't really know. But I think the recovery will take some time because it's a global recovery, not a specific situation pertinent to New Zealand, and we're all in the same boat. So we have to all adjust to, I love that term, the new normal, whatever the new normal is. Mm-hmm. But it does mean, you imagine for people that we would be helping, uh, people have said, oh, I'm going to save more money over the next five years. Well, you might not have a job over the next five years. Uh, if you're 60, thinking to retire at 65, you might find that you've been made redundant or you've got reduced working hours. So you then have to adjust your plan if you've got one. And remember, most people actually don't have a plan as they're approaching retirement. Most people just, it's one foot after another and then suddenly they get the DCM, don't come Monday. It's like, oh, I'm now a possum in the headlights. I wonder where my money's going to come from. They've given very little thought to that. When I was doing presentations in the past, I'd often say people would spend more time and effort planning their next overseas holiday than they did in planning their future financial well-being. Well, I suppose the sad thing now is none of us are going to have an overseas holiday for a while. Mm-hmm. So we've got plenty of time to plan our retirement future, but you need to talk <laughs> to someone and, and sit down with them and throw their ideas on the table, brainstorm, if you like, and try and establish what the cost of your preferred lifestyle is and where's that money going to come from. And the retirement plan going forward might be a little bit different from the retirement plan you might have had five years ago because some of the asset values will have changed, some of the income expectations will have certainly changed and maybe, again, we need to adjust what our lifestyle is going to look like because I think a lot of people over the sort of lockdown period, I think it was eight weeks, it felt like 12, um, <laughs> I've suddenly said, well, there's a lot of things I don't really need to do. I don't need to go out and uh, to dinner three times a week, and I don't have to get takeaways four nights out of five. Um, 
and there's a whole lot of things and maybe I'm buying stuff I don't really need and I've just gone through my cupboard and found I've got 20 pairs of shoes I haven't seen before <laughs> or, or a whole lot of clothes like that. We just suddenly um, come back to basics and slow down. Because I think before, and I was certainly guilty of this, uh, you're on a bit of a treadmill. Yeah. You just run, 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 and suddenly the treadmill stopped and you go, oh, you know, you reevaluate what's actually important in life. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, a lot more people are out there exercising. If you're a business owner, instead of working in your business, you can work well, on it. Well, I should have been out exercising, but I, of course, <laughs> went into my garden because that's my happy place yeah. and found that um, either, I don't know how I did it, so I'm not sure whether I got bitten by a, one of those nasty white-tailed spiders or a scratch or a cut. I don't, I don't, don't understand how it happened, but I remember not feeling particularly well at the end of the day and feeling even uh, a bit worse the next day, but I was pretty sure I didn't have COVID because there was no respiratory problems, just felt like I had a chill, a fever or something, and did what you normally do. Panadol and whiskey always seems to work with a little <laughs> bit of lemon. Um, but the third day I noticed there was this red rash on my left leg, and I thought, this is not good. And there was um, not a bit of inflammation and uh, and a lot of pain as I tried to walk. So I got myself off to White Cross, who were fantastic up in Ponsonby Road. Um, they even let me park closer in the car park to the uh, the entrance, so I didn't have to hobble so far. And I found I had cellulitis, and if I'd left it a day later, I'd have been in hospital on an IV. And you don't want to go to hospital in the pandemic because it's full of sick people. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. very happy sitting in White Cross either, but there was no one else there. And uh, basically, I was, you know, pretty inactive for the next week to ten days because, um, uh, and on a fairly heavy course of antibiotics, so I really had a bit of time to reevaluate what I was doing. Of course, that's probably the reason I didn't complete those five jobs that I had. <laughs> yeah, you've got to get excuse. It wasn't to your laziness, of course. That wouldn't be me. No. Well, no, I mean, you no. had a good run of three decades working hard, 80-hour weeks, so yeah. you deserve the odd uh, cellulitis-induced holiday. Well, I, didn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that. I probably would have been better than going for a walk or a run. But <laughs> the, the, what I'm really talking about is that it's interesting. They say it takes 21 days to form a new habit. Well, we've had more than 21 days of actually not being able to do what we would normally do. And sometimes people will, will reevaluate and say, actually, were some of those things I was doing, some of those meetings I used to go to, are they really that important? Mm. You know, what is important in my lifestyle? And, and that flows through to the things I want to do. And then there's financial consequences of that. How much will that lifestyle cost? And how much do I really need to fund the lifestyle I want going forward? And whether it's friends or family, um, you know, a lot of people will probably by um, coercion rather than by um, making your own decision. It's not what coercion means, like suddenly you don't have a job anymore, the DCM, um, be forced to uh, look at retirement. And while they might be a bit unhappy about that in the short term, with proper advice, it might be a godsend. It might be an opportunity to smell the roses and enjoy life and get on with doing the things that are really important to you with the the people that you love, whereas you might have easily fallen into the trap we were all on before with that treadmill, just keep work, 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 too scared to stop, worried about running out of money 
before you know, we ran out of life from the point of view, if I don't have this income coming in, how can I go out to dinner five nights a week and coffees and clothes and travel and all the other bits and pieces, flash new car, um, when what is really important to you? Mm. And so that we've had more than 21 days to establish new habits. And uh, you know, the new habit might be, well, it's actually quite enjoy going for walks and spending more time with the family, um, a little bit of more exercise or gardening or whatever. And actually, it doesn't cost as much as I thought it would be, and maybe I can retire a bit earlier, stop work a little bit. There's a lot of people in their 60s and 70s still working, and some of them are working because they think they can't afford to stop working. Yeah, fair. I remember actually at a client function, I was speaking to one of your clients, um, she told me, what, 20 years ago, she had just been recently made redundant and she was really concerned and she wasn't sure where she wanted to go in life and, and she came in really dreary talking to you and then um, she was telling me how you broke it down, how much income she could fund and, and how she could live her life and she could actually do the things she wanted and she skipped all the way home and for the last 20 odd years she's been able to travel to different places like Greece and help out. It's quite yeah, warm and fuzzies on that. Well, that, those sort of stories sort of reinforce why you would want to work in the business that we work in, because it's all good news. It's not bad news. When I left the the police and then left the corporate fraud unit, I was dealing with people that, you know, some of them were unfortunate, um, some of them were not very nice. But, mm. you know, it wasn't sort of a positive thing where I felt that I was helping them to help themselves. You know, I'm now arresting you for theft of, I don't know how I'm really going to help you because, you know, when you get out of jail or when you get out of court, you're probably going to do the same thing again. Mm. Um, I wasn't a social worker. You weren't able to um, change people's lives. I suppose the old policeman who caught the kids stealing apples and gave them a boot up the bum was able to change their lives because they saw that there were consequences of doing something bad mm. and they might think, oh, well, maybe that's a good, sharp lesson. And when I was in the police, if you kick someone up the bum, you lost your job. So mm. you're almost forced to put them through the courts, which is not nearly a, a growth opportunity. <laughs> no. So it was not a negative – or sorry, it wasn't a positive thing of the work that I was doing. I think it was a necessary job to do, but it – it didn't sort of give you that wow factor of made a change in someone's life. Um, whereas financial planning or retirement planning as we do it, you have that opportunity every day of the week. Mm. You know, someone can come in a bit down in the mouth, worried about the future because they are so close to the coalface, they can't see the bigger picture. They can't see the wood for the trees. And you're sitting back taking a more holistic view of life and saying, well, what's really important to you? What are the things you want to do? How much is it going to cost? Let's look at where the money will come from. And that's where, you know, you can have that transformation from someone feeling, you know, I'm trapped, I can't see where I'm going to go, and you can help them, you know, turn the light on, see the light at the end of the tunnel, and they go, oh, that's okay, now I feel good now. Because that's a funny thing with us human beings we can go from dark thoughts to light thoughts very quickly mm. 
if we believe in ourselves. If you have dark thoughts and that's all you can see, that's a terrible spiral to find yourself in. That's called depression. Mm. Um, but if you can, with assistance, get someone to help you turn that light on, the room's not dark, and you can see the possibilities in front of you. And you go, wow, that's great. Yeah, I can do this. I can have this trip or I can buy this vehicle or, you know, I can, I, I can do stop paid employment or reduce from five days a week till three. And uh, it's always great when you actually see people who are pre-retirement, if you like, because you can help them prepare for the mm. DCM, Don't Come Monday. And, in fact, it can be done on their terms, not someone else's terms. And the reality is uh, the earlier you retire, of course, the longer you'll live in retirement. Mm. So if you re retire at 65, uh, you'll have hopefully 20 years plus of retirement. Uh, and that's a long time, and there's lots of things you want to do, so you want to know you've got the money to do it. But if you stop work at 60 or 55, suddenly it's not 20, but it's 25 or 30 years of retirement. And it's a fantastic opportunity if you've got things to do, and hopefully you do, because otherwise you probably continue working. But what that means financially is you need more money for that journey because the journey is going to take longer. It's like an overseas trip. If you're going for a month, you need a certain amount. Maybe you need fifteen to 20000 But if you're going for th three months, it'll be thirty to 35000 If it's for a year, mm. it'll be 60000 So how long is that journey going to be? And that will tell you how much money you need to prepare. Sounds like you need to go on some of these trips you're going on. Oh, I'd like I to. I was going on a trip, of course, and <laughs> all my, years, for years my clients have been telling me about cruising and, and, and the, you know, one of the top cruises that people went to was the uh, Alaskan cruise out of Vancouver up into the fjords in, in Alaska and, and uh, you know, there were lots of stories about salmon fishing, uh, bear watching. Probably quite good that you watch the bears rather than the bears watch you. So I remember <laughs> that old story. If you find yourself in the forest with a friend and um, suddenly you see a bear and the bear starts chasing you, uh, the story was that one person stopped and took their shoes off and put on some running shoes. And the other person said, why are you doing that? We can't outrun the bear. And, and the other person putting on the running shoes said, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. <laughs> so, so if you're going on a bear-watching thing, always take some running shoes. But So I was looking forward to this, and um, what happened, the first thing was that Air New Zealand cancelled the flight to Vancouver. Of course, they cancelled the flight. They didn't say anything about giving my money back to me. Yeah, no. Yeah, sure enough. Well, um, I think they might give us a credit. Um but uh, they cancelled the flight. The second thing is the Canadian government closed the borders, mm. and thankfully the cruise ship line, the cruise ship company, then cancelled the cruise, and they've decided to refund us. So, so it'll be put off to another day. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of my clients would have had lots of travel plans for this year and next mm. year, which this year won't happen. Next year may or may not happen. 
especially the older clients, will be a little concerned about travelling if there's not some sort of vaccine or treatment that's readily available because the insurance costs will be astronomic. And, you know, suddenly, of course, they don't need to spend the money they were forecasting to spend on travel. But there are other things you can do. You know, mm. you know hopefully uh, they'll open the Trans-Tasman bubble or Trans-Tasman and Pacific Island bubble and maybe the old adage of you shouldn't travel overseas, shouldn't leave home till you've seen the country. Mm. You know, a lot of local travel in Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands. Or well, even even then, um, my flatmate works for Jetstar, and they were, they were talking about they're not expecting to be able to do flights until 2021, but they can fly domestically as well, which is bizarre. But Airbnbs are dirt cheap. I imagine flights, when they go, will be dirt cheap. Um, so it's a good time to travel around locally. Yeah, I think once the flights re-establish, uh, I'm hoping to go down to Queenstown soon, not to go skiing, because that's a dangerous activity, but to go down to Queenstown and, and uh, then through yeah, to Central Otago to Alexandra. But the flights are not inexpensive. They're quite expensive, and that'll put a few people off. Mm. And what Air New Zealand should be doing is, is increasing the flights, dropping the price, and moving people through. But I'm, I'm sure we're still probably having to go through the social distancing and, and wearing the face masks and all the other bits and pieces, um, which is really stupid because the horse is well and truly bolted. I don't think anyone in this country, unless they open up the borders, and that's not going to happen any day soon, is at any risk of catching anything from anyone else other than some other thing, influenza or, mm. or I don't know, can you catch pneumonia? I'm not sure. But the chances of catching COVID-19, I think, are you know, infinitesimal. Yeah, it's, it's not non-existent. I, wonder, I really wonder what people will say about this in five years. Um, so I'll reserve my comments until five years later. But it's been interesting, and I've followed the rules, and I've done what's asked. So um, yeah. I, I hope oh, people... Of course, we would all follow the rules. I Perfectly. wouldn't ever admit on, on radio that I might have stepped outside my bubble. But the... <laughs> I think these epidemiologists are having the time of their lives. All these academics are suddenly able to throw the, the rule book out the window and have all sorts of funds. They can't agree amongst themselves. And suddenly you know, I heard on the TV this morning the guy going, oh, I'm so, oh this, you know, this, this disease could stay dormant for a long period of time and then just resurrect. I mean, I don't know. But I think they should know, and if they don't know, they shouldn't say anything, because it's all scaremongering. Yeah. And um, and some people, sadly, will be adversely affected because they have health mm. issues and they'll be really worried. And I think you know, there's a danger of people worrying unnecessarily. But, you know, of course, if you want to get pillared, um, and probably put in the stocks and had rotten eggs thrown. You'd criticise the government's handling of the COVID crisis or um, or what the epidemiologists are telling us, so we should all be like sheep and go through the the gates, I suppose. Uh, I think, Lambs uh, to the slaughter. I think Greg's mic just cut out there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Have uh, I been mooted? <laughs> no, that's right. But uh, it's a good time to end it. Um, because, yeah, everyone has a view, and uh, it's 
most important thing is yeah, there's a number of people that are healthy, and uh, yeah, hopefully it continues to be um, an improvement in the economy and improvement in uh, people's health as well. Less people passing away from it. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening, everyone. If you have questions, once again, hit me up at Ryan at OnePlan.co.nz. So O N E P L A N.co.nz. Forgot how to spell temporarily. And uh, yeah, we would love to answer all your questions and uh, we could hopefully uh, answer them similar to Mary Holm and then we can be hypocrites. So that would be a, a good way to do things. So once again, thanks to NZ Audio Editors. Got a website now, nzaudioeditors.com. Check them out and you can sound as silky smooth as we do now with this new equipment. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Bye for now. <laughs>